Welcome back to Carp Chronicles podcast, episode number 59. And of course, this is part two of my interview with John Llewellyn. If you didn't listen to part one, then I urge you to go back, have a listen to it, get yourself up to speed because there's a few things in this episode that we kind of reference back to from part one. So definitely go and listen to that if you haven't done so already. For those of you that have already listened to part one, I'm sure you've been looking forward to part two. I've had so many messages um, saying you know how great it was. So yeah, thank you. Appreciate the feedback. Of course, that is all credit to John. He is a fantastic guy. Um, he's got a lot of interesting things to say when it comes to bait and carp fishing in general. And yeah, I'm sure you're going to enjoy part two with John just as much as part one. Before we jump in, just quick mention our awesome sponsor target baits go ahead check these guys out if you haven't ordered from them already i recommend you do so you can actually save 10 percent as well with the code chronicles 10 um, i don't get anything from that code by the way it's just a way to, to help you guys out but yeah at checkout enter in the code chronicles 10 you'll get 10 percent off and they sell all manner of different things Personally, I use them for quite a few of the base mix ingredients that I use, um, but they also sell liquids, additives, flavors, particles, all kinds of different stuff. And everything that I've had from them is extremely good, and I just cannot recommend them enough. I don't want to sound too salesy, but uh, yeah, I think they're fantastic, super fresh, super good stuff, cheap postage, quick delivery. What more would you like? Targetbaits.co.uk. That's it for the intro. Enjoy this episode with John Llewellyn. Pop-ups uh, and wafters really, really yeah. in vogue. Have you gone down the route of using a heavy hook bait? Um, I haven't. Um, I did go. I did in the past because I used. I used to make heavy, not just a hook bait, but heavy baits, um, specifically for my river fishing. Um, I used to make the put an additive in that made them really heavy, so they'd go straight down and stay where I put them. Um, and I used to just use them on the, the hair as well. So the, the baits, the, the freebies were heavy and the hook baits were heavy. Yeah. Um, but I haven't, no, I haven't. Um, but I could well imagine that that might be something that would work well. Yeah. I've done little bits with it just by adding, uh, yeah, limestone flour. Um, yeah, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't give anything nutritionally. I mean, it might aid in ionization. I don't know. But um it definitely yeah. makes that there's potential to make it heavier there. Yeah, I mean that's what that's that's what I put in limestone flour. I used to put that in to make the bait heavy, um, and it yeah. Well, I mean it worked well. It didn't make any difference to what I caught. Still caught plenty of fish. Yeah, using it as a deliberate tactic. Yeah, possibly. Mm. Yeah, possibly. Not sure. Something to play with. I mean, you could go along the 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 kind of thought process of oh well, it's a heavier bait, so it's going. It's going to sit lower in, I mean, I don't think this is the truth, but it could sit lower in the carp's mouth so it kind of drags the hook home. Yeah. It's tempting to think that way, but I think when a carp sucks something, it's such a vortex of, of movement. Exactly. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. it, I just don't think it's going to be dropping into the, the lower parts of, of the mouth no, any more readily than that, a bottom no, bait. No. no, I mean, there are some things that have been, you know, um, I've got some... I've tried using something a foreign friend of mine has been doing for quite a long time. Um, I've not been doing it for long enough to say the difference that it makes, but he swears by it, which is that he puts a, uh, he calls it a pre-hooking lead on his hook link. Right. Um, about three inches from the hook, about quite heavy, about 10 grams. 
Um, okay. Not not with a pop up with any with a, with. I mean, if he uses a, wants to use a pop up, he uses he balances his, his pop up in the normal way with something say just behind the eye of the hook say. But further back down the hook link, he uses another weight. Oh, about, I see what you mean. Yeah, just yeah. like a shot. It just like a shot. I mean, yeah. literally the size of a swan shot. Something that yeah. weighs about half an ounce. I mean, it's it's quite a heavy weight. Mm. And because he 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 believes that the when the fish first picks up the bait, sucks it back in, and I can see the the theory, you know, and it yeah. obviously works that it that it's going to pull the line down, uh, makes the hook turn. And, it, and although it's not a very heavy weight with a sharp hook, it's enough to keep the hook just nicked slightly long enough until the weight of the lead comes into play. Yeah. Um, and he, he he's an extremely <clears throat> successful angler. And uh, he reckons that when he does that, he hooks fish that otherwise he believes he's getting away with it. Yeah. Makes sense. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, you just tried. mentioned, sorry? To be tried. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely something yeah. else to try <laughs> yeah there's, this is the problem isn't it there's only yeah. only so much time we get well certainly me i don't know how much time you have i, I think I, you i yeah i'm gonna i want to try and get more time um at the moment i have very little I, I generally i suppose over the last years i go fishing i try and go two nights yeah no i go one night a week and then some weeks i go two nights um, I haven't fished more than 24 hour session in the UK for probably 10 years. Mm. Um, I just don't do it. Wow. Um, yeah. It's not my, I've got too many other things I want to do. Um, yeah. But I do want to change that because some of the things, especially carp fishing, you definitely miss out if you can't prepare where you're fishing you know, a day or two in advance. And I try and do it by going down and doing it before I go fishing. But ideally you should be there. Yeah. I, I think we were saying we were on um, uh, FaceTime the other day, weren't we? And we were mm. saying that I think a shorter session requires a different angling skill set it does. Than, yeah. than perhaps several nights in the row. And these days I'm, I'm just doing very, very short sessions. Yeah, um, yeah. I certainly angle differently now than I did when I was, <clears throat> I mean, when I was doing sort of four nights a week, uh, separated, you know, separate, not yeah. on the trot, but distributed across the week, you can get something going, can't you? You know, you, oh, can, yeah, yeah. you can really get something going. You can and, really build your fishing. You yeah. Can, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, anglers who've got time, especially carp fishing, they're going to, if they're, they know what they're doing, they're going to really catch a load of fish. Oh, you, of course. Um, you, yeah. It's the great sort of leveler, isn't it, really? It, it, it is and it's um i remember when i fished at dinton this is going back to because i lived in reading for, for many years but i used to fish at dinton pastures when the fish were up to sort of 20 pound they weren't big um and i you know caught quite a few of them then but then i didn't fish there for quite a long time and then i realized that there were big fish being caught i thought i must go back and join again and have another go and I don't normally, it's something I don't normally do, but I decided I was going to go to Dinton and concentrate on that place for a year mm. and try and catch one of the really big fish. And I did a bit of barbel fishing, but my carp fishing was all at Dinton. And But give you an idea, over the whole year, I only fished 21 nights. So that's not a lot. Um, it's really not a lot. But I spent a lot of time walking and I, I realised where I wanted to fish and decided that I would bait a large, although it's heavily fished i would bait a, a large area of the lake and i used to go down sort of in the 
in the night or when it was raining when people were all in their bivvies mm. and bait up basically the middle area of the lake because then I could fish it from either side of the lake um, plus the fish tended to either go down one end on an easterly or down the other end on a westerly and so it seemed like a good area and so I started fishing that area and baiting that area and I'd bait it every week a couple of times just a couple of times a week go down and stick out a load of bait in the middle of the lake um, and then the conditions eventually came together in one January and I caught well, the biggest fish in the lake. Um, and it was, you know, thanks to a lot of hard work. I mean, there's always a bit of luck involved, <laughs> but, but you know, I put in an awful lot of effort. And when I went that time, it was like all my sessions down there, I would turn up at seven, eight o'clock in the evening and go home by 10 o'clock in the morning. So really short sessions as well. Um, but, but yeah, paid off. That's the thing. And, and, your angling isn't always done when your rods are out in the water, is it? You know, it's it's all no. those times you walk around, you bait up, you you know, maybe you go down and just sit and listen at night. All of those things, you're just kind of building up pieces of the puzzle, aren't you? Um, yeah. Well, by 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 doing short, I, I I missed out on fishing at the beginning of the season because it's um when at that time there was still a close season. Mm. Um, but the first few months of the season, I, I didn't catch anything, and I missed out because I was leaving too early. I would go down after work and then set up fish bait up and all that and then fish the night and stay through sometimes till about eight nine o'clock and then leave and, and and i wasn't catching anything and i thought i should be getting some takes at least but nothing um so i decided to, to hang on one day and about midday it ripped off and i caught my first fish and i thought that's it that i need to be here during the middle of the day so i started not going down until it was well into like the evening and it was dark um two rods clipped where I wanted to put them, put them out there and then literally left them there. And I would stay on till about one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And bites tended to come around that anything between sort of eleven in the morning and one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And, and that's when I was starting to catch the fish. But if I'd been fishing longer sessions, I may have realized that earlier on. Mm. Yeah. This yeah. is the thing, isn't it? That that bite window is really, really important, I think. It is. Yeah, you've got to be there when they're going to feed. That's Not to say that you can't catch them outside of that. And obviously, if you've only got a certain amount of time, you know you've got to work with what you've got to work with. But yeah, yeah I think learning when when they kind of switch onto the feed, which will change over the year, obviously, over the course of the seasons. But yeah, it's important, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Did you get yourself another drink? I have. I have a can here and a glass. I'm going to do your little sound thing when you start. I'm going to open it. Go for it. Go for it now. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All adds to it, doesn't it? Absolutely. So you're on. What what are you on? Um, I actually ha I didn't have any Guinness down there, so it's the only thing I had that was cold in the fridge is a Heineken. I prefer a Guinness really. In fact, it's because I don't drink very much, it's um it's a known an alcohol free one. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. some, I do keep some alcohol stuff in the fridge, but um, so, I mean, before we, uh, I've kind of gone off on a, on a tangent here, but, um, you also mentioned very briefly paste, um, paste, yeah. that you use paste. Do you, do you fish out and out paste baits anymore or just, just paste? No, uh, very rarely. No, I tend to wrap a boily. Um, yeah. or, or the other thing that I found really effective as well is to, which is a little bit unusual. I'm not sure many people do it, but I like to, um, wrap a. So I'll, I'll balance a pop-up 
sort of overbalance it, say, on quite a buoyant pop-up. And then I'll wrap the pop-up in paste and it sinks. So it's lying on the bottom. Um, and as it as it dissolves its paste, it becomes a wafter. And then it eventually yeah. it pops up and it becomes a pop-up. Yeah. Um, and with if you prepare the paste in the right way, you could, you know, I can cast that out in the evening. And if I don't get a bite and I wind it in at eight o'clock in the morning, it's still got paste around it. Um, so it's like fishing a paste bait, which is anything from a bottom bait through to a pop-up. Um, which sounds interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of paste baits because I, I mean, you can get, especially now I'm doing shorter sessions. Um, you can get that soluble, uh, soluble aspect in there. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah. Although, obviously, since our <laughs> since the beginning of this podcast, mm. where you mentioned, you know, actually, obviously, the the older, you know, bigger fish have got higher concentration of receptors. Mm. Maybe that's not even desirable. I mean, it. it do you think? I do think. It, I do th no, no. I do. Th I think it is desirable as long as the bait in the first place isn't too strong. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit like sometimes I get questions from people say. I mean, this is again another subject, but this is my thoughts about it and my view of it. And people say, you know, I wash wash out my baits before I go fishing. Well, hmm. to my view, if you've got to wash your baits out for them to be effective, they're too, too strong, strong in the first place. Yeah. Um, but then, having said that, if the baits are of the right um, level of flavors and attractors and so on within them, there's this aspect of by hydrating the bait not washing it out but hydrating it so the water goes into the boilie exactly. it allows the stuff to le leach out more quickly that's i'm glad you said that because actually i think sometimes it's not that you're necessarily weakening the bait it's no. that you're, you're saturating it with water so that job is already done so as soon as it goes in the lake it's active it's it's pushing out not drawing in it is yeah I, and i think that could be something worth exploring mm. um but Having said that, you've then got the, the you, so what you're doing then is you're you're creating a soluble smell, let's call it, around the bait to attract the fish. But you can attract the fish in the same way by, let's say, initially soaking your bait in hydrolyzed krill. Yeah. yeah. Um, or though, <laughs> unless we're kind of subscribing to the theory that actually that's going to be too much of a, a stronger food signal too strong yep. yeah for, for the for the older fish possible mm, yeah yeah there, there's a level where it, i believe it will be too strong yeah. um when i had this discussion with patrick mills recently as well um but when i when i um when i was doing my this is going back quite a lot of years i had I've, in the past i've had competition anglers come up to me and ask if, what what of the products i sell do i think would be good for their match fishing and um there was one in particular I called, it was called BHA. It basically means boost uh, oat attraction, like it's a higher track boost, but the name BHA stuck. So they call it BHA, but it's, um, it's hydrolyzed, hydrolyzed yeast with um, blended with salmon oil. Uh, basically that's it. There's a couple of other bits in there, but that's basically it. It's really, really effective. It, it really works to attract the fish. And I gave this to the guy and he said, look, try that. And he fished that this method that I know Patrick uses to test his stuff, where you, in France, they call it the American style of competition, where you have two guys fishing in one swim, both pole fishing, but they're fishing out, they're literally sat next to each other. So their poles are going out, and one of the guys just stuck with his normal bait, and the other one put this BHA on. And he called me after using it for a couple of weeks, and he said, 
it definitely attracts the fish because they're, they're coming and rolling and bubbling and stuff. I mean, we're talking sort of small carp, you know, little F1s and up to sort of five, six, ten pound maybe. Um, and um, he said, yeah, it definitely attracts them, gets them feeding. But the trouble is I keep foul hooking them. Um, and hmm. the issue, and I said, oh, so how are you using it? He said, well, I'm, I'm soaking my pellet in it, sticking it in the cup, and then I'm pouring some of the liquid into the cup and then pouring hmm. it in and then dropping the flow on top of it. I said, well, that's the problem. It's too strong. And you're saturating the fish's um, taste receptors. They're completely saturated. They can't then find where their food is. And they're charging around looking for it. And they're picking up your line and getting foul hooked. So you need to just use, and the, the, for that product, the level was about 10 to 15 mil, like a soup spoon for a kilo of pellet in a bag. Shake it up and then put that in your cup. And cup that in. Um, and then he came back a bit later and, and, and said, yeah, it's really, really effective. And now I'm hooking more fish than I'm foul hooking because they can find the bait. Yeah, exactly. And it was, um, you know, pretty good demonstration of the, what, what you're talking about, you know, over oversaturating them with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do, so in, I'm just thinking about the listener's perspective, obviously they're, yeah. they're you know, listening about, um, sorry, hearing about this, kind of paste wrap that you put on a pop it and a, a pop up and i know i'm jumping around a little yeah. bit but that's obviously not so soluble that it's breaking down instantly it's got a little are, bit you're, of a you're, of... are you recording at the moment yeah recording oh i didn't know you were recording <laughs> i thought because i haven't even i'm i'm getting thirsty now I've, oh i've got my beer, i've got my beer sitting <laughs> waiting and i wasn't going to open it until till you said we were recording sorry john yeah we didn't stop <laughs> i'm getting thirsty <laughs> hang on a minute Right, I'm going to have my beer now. Is everything that you've said all right, or have you said things that you didn't want? No, no, no. It's all, <laughs> it's all, it's all good. I just didn't realise. <clears throat> okay, no. I'm going to have a sip of my beer now. Carry on. My mistake. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I should have made that clear. Um, your pop-up paste or your pop-up wrap okay. in the form of a paste. Obviously, that's not so soluble. It's breaking down and me, you know, fairly quickly. It's obviously got a little bit of staying power. Yeah. Are, you, are you? I mean, I'm. I imagine people will be interested to try something like that out. Are you able to give people an idea of of what that might look like? Well, I use it's 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 the paste is made from exactly the same um, paste as I'll make my hook. You see, right? I'll go let's take a step back a second. Yeah. Um. In the last few years, I have been using just a boilie out of the bag, wrapping it with paste. Um, apart from if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to use a wafter or a pop-up, um, I'm a big believer in making my own hook baits. I mean, we produce our own range of um, from our own stuff, uh, matching you know pop-ups and wafters and things. They all work. They're all very good. But I'm very much a believer of... I want everything to be as good as it can possibly be. Mm. And a commercially made pop-up, however good you want to make it, isn't as good as if you roll one yourself. Yeah. Um, and specifically, if you roll it around a court ball, you can use exactly the same paste as you've made your boilies from, your freebies, or you can tweak it slightly so it'll last longer on the court ball. You can make it slightly stronger if you want to. You can, you can do all sorts of things with it. So... I tend to make my own wafters and pop-ups um, and I make my paste from the same paste I would make a wafter or pop-up from. Now, the only difference between that paste and my freebie recipe is that the, the base mix, I add 
a little bit of um, egg albumin to harden it so it hardens slightly more, lasts a bit longer. Um, and I slightly increase the level of the flavor and attractors in it because the fish aren't going to eat it. They're going to, by the time they've got it in their mouth, they're hooked. So a slightly stronger hook bait than the, the freebies. Um, I've done that for quite a long time. I'm not convinced it necessarily makes any difference. It's just more a confidence thing. Um, and the reality is probably that if you just used the paste that you make your freebies from to wrap your cork balls to make a hook bait, that would work just as well. Um, and and so I use that paste, which is my normal base mix with a bit of egg albumin. I use that to make my, my paste wrap. Mm. And in terms of your, because I mean, we haven't really you know, spoken about your, your bait business. I know you, you sell uh, exclusively in France, I believe, right? I don't think it you, is these days because of Brexit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you, you don't sell in uh, say Italy or anything like that. Do you? Yeah. 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 Oh, you yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Basically what's happened is um, my company was, um, I, I, I had a unit in the UK near my home in Reading and um, we, we distributed out to various European countries as well as rolling fresh bait for people in the UK. Um, I also did a range of um, cat bait specifically for catfish um, that, were, that went really well. Um, but then Brexit came along. Um, I thought, like lots of man bait manufacturers, that you know, you'll know you sort out the paperwork, you'll sort out the export details, all the rest of it. But the reality is that it's uh, loads of paperwork. You have to get vet controls involved, um, customs charges. Custom it was just a complete nightmare. Mm. So from one day to the next, the business basically pretty much folded because um, I had no more shops to I could deliver to. Um, and um, so, yeah, the company Big so my company Big Carp is we're really well known in France, Italy, a little bit in Spain, Belgium. We're well known, um, and I've now found a French company who, well, in fact, I've been working with a French company for the last year, but it's not really worked out properly. So, I'm moving to a new company as we speak, and it's really exciting because they're very much along the same bait thoughts as I am and they want to stick to my ideas and my recipes exactly as they are which is sort of unusual for most commercial outfits in that they want to you know they're only interested in the bottom line and they want to cut this and cut that because it's too expensive um, and make more money or make a make a margin but um, this company has, has basically agreed to stick to my recipes as I have them and put all the right stuff in um so it's really very exciting and we're gonna i'm flying out to france next week for a few more days to do some more trials i'm going out there every sort of five or six weeks to spend time with them and um we'll be launching our range of stuff um throughout france and into into italy um in january and february it's, wow. yeah exciting times very exciting yeah for some reason i thought it, you were just predominantly in france um, mm. I've got it is one. predominantly in france um but we, we've spread out a bit i mean i lived in france for a couple of years so mm. you know when i decided i was going to do the bait business it um it made sense to do france because i'd been living there for two years and i could speak the language fluently and had lots of contacts and um it, it just made sense um but over the years it's spread from there and is it is it it's just boilies that you sell or are you kind of branching out uh, into some other no, bits branching out i mean for when we started we um so we started 35 years ago i mean it's a, it's a company's been going an awful long time yeah. um i started just with uh, a flavor a base mix 
um, an additive and a rod. <laughs> that was <laughs> it. Um, and then bit by bit, I mean, my whole idea right from the very beginning was what I was using myself was what I wanted to show to people and include in my range. So it made sense to do a rod and Harrison Advanced Rods, in my mind, is the best European manufacturer. So I went to see Steve Harrison and um, sorted out a rod with him that he made for me at that time. And um, bit by bit, we added sort of bait things. And then I, th I thought, well, you know, I, I looked where I could find braid from. I looked where I could get hooks from. Bit by bit, we increased the range. And so we did a, a range of tackle. We did the rods. We did the baits. Um, we, we were distributing out to about 80 odd shops at one time. Um, and it was going really, really well until Brexit. Um, but now, hopefully, it will be coming back as before. We've got big plans for it. And, um, yeah, it should all be kicking off from the beginning of next year. Exciting stuff. And that is, just to kind of clarify, because I know we're going to get a lot of messages about this, your baits aren't available in the UK, right? No. Oh. They're not available because now we've got the problem of exporting in the opposite direction. The, yeah, coming. yeah. Um, what we will have, uh, which will be of interest, and I'll, and I'll, there will be um, details about this once we're ready and once the website comes <clears> up and running. I mean, at the moment, my website is it's bigcarp.com, but it's um, it's involved with the, the company that I'm leaving at the moment. So we're working on a new website that will be coming out at the beginning of the year. And one of the things that we will be providing for English anglers for both carp and catfish is you can order um, fresh or um, shelf life bait, subject we'll come on to, I'm sure, hmm. but one of, one of those from us and have it delivered to a relay point, um, which, of which there are hundreds across France. So you could have your bait delivered to a point um, near to your venue or possibly directly to your venue so you can collect it when you get there um so that could stop people having to take bait out and yes. i know there's not been many problems so far no. but once customs begin to get a bit hotter on seeing rods on tops of cars and so on they're going to start checking and suddenly you might find that you can't take the things you want to take with you mm. um so yeah so that's something we we're, we're working on and that's something we're going to offer to to english anglers as we go forward it's a brilliant idea i'm sure that'll go down very well Mm, hope so yeah i'm sure it'll be a winner definitely you also i'm uh, jumping around a little bit here but um you mentioned your your website uh, bigcarp.com that is bigcarp.com right that's it yeah yeah you also mentioned i don't know if we can talk about this you might be writing a, well you are writing a book yeah do you have any kind of goal release date for that or, or any kind of completion date <laughs> I've, in mind? I've, I've had several <laughs> <laughs> It's that sort of project. Like that. Uh, I started it probably oh, a good five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, with a book, when you try and write a book and you um, you read back through it and then you keep changing it because um, you, you think, oh, no, I, uh, yeah, different thoughts or things updated. But I've got <clears> to the point now where I've stopped doing that. And, I, and I'm no, when you've written it, that bit, you've written it. Um, yeah. And I've tried, I've had various deadlines the plan is to because i've got some foreign friends particularly who are really really good anglers in their own field of like there's one guy who specializes in fishing one of the big rivers um which is really interesting how he does it and how he approaches it um, another one who lives down near the mountains and he fishes some of the big mountain reservoirs and the big mountain lakes so he, he's a real specialist in that so 
I think I'll, the book will be probably about two thirds my own writing. And then I've got a couple of real specialist friends um, to come in and do some chapters for me. Mm. Um, and at the moment, my plan is to try and do that so I can bring it out at Montluçon, which is the big European show in France in 2025. It's in February 2025. Right. Um, this this current where I am currently with changing companies to to, to redo the bait for next year is um, causing me <laughs> taking up an awful lot of my time, which I wasn't expecting. So whether I'll actually hit that target or not, I don't know. But that at the moment is the is the target so i've got well i've got nearly 18 months to do it um so yeah it's doable interesting stuff i i this like i think if i wrote i mean i haven't been cart fishing as long as you have but if i was to write a book six years ago i think and compared to writing one now i think it would have a slightly different feel i think we, we we're naturally going to evolve over our angling timeline aren't we um, we, we, we we are and things because, because, I mean, I'm, I'm quite well known abroad, especially in France, and people yeah. want the questions they ask is all it's it's mainly technical stuff, you know, it's the bait stuff, it's the rigs and the presentation, and it's all that stuff. But that's only that's only part of it, you know. Um, I've had a very varied life doing lots of different things, and you know, I used to write lots of articles for, I wrote loads of articles for Carp World and Tutor Carper in Italy and Media Carp in France, different things. And they're all sort of basically stories about, you know, a session somewhere and what I did and how, you know, funny things, sometimes sad things, sometimes lots of stories. And, and, and as well as all the technical stuff, there's the stories. And when, when I look back on it all, I think, boy, I mean, there's, there's so much stuff. What do I concentrate on? Um, and that's that's one of the difficulties is knowing what to target and how to, you know, how to how to make a nice blend of sort of technical and stories, which mm. is really what I'm sort of aiming at. So if I'm going to talk about bait, a bait subject or talk about something relating to bait, I want to have a story where I can tell the story of an actual session I did where that brings in that part of the the the, the technical stuff. So that each story becomes like a, a its own little article, um, and I quite like the feel or the idea of that as a book. Do you think you almost have to kind of write it for yourself rather than writing it through the lens of what what would appease people? What would people want to? Yeah, a bit. Of, it's a bit of both. Right. It's, it's it's. I think it's actually a bit of both. Um. Because um, I've never done a book before, mm. and. So after all this, you know, I'm 67 this coming year, 66 years old. Uh, I won't have a lot of books in me. Um, <laughs> this might be the only one. So, you know, I want to write a good one. Yeah. Um, and actually, when you look at, you know, I spoke again, somebody we mentioned earlier, I spoke to Stuart. Stuart uh, is a, was involved in the printing trade and has done lots of fishing books for people. I, I talked at some length to Stuart about um, a book and what's required and so on. And if you're going to, do let's say the standard 350 odd page book basic with illustrations and pictures you're looking in the region of 100,000 words yeah um something like that to do a really nice book um so it's 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 a lot of writing but having said that you know an article in cart world you know i used to aim at 
two, three thousand words for an article. Mm. So <laughs> you can't get many articles in the book. No. no. So, you know, it's almost a case of, well, do I do one and then think about doing another one after it? Or I don't know, really. Um, but at some point you have to sort of bite the bullet and say, right, this is going to be it. You know, well, why not just do a mammoth book? You don't think that's why <laughs> just not? a mammoth book? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. Why, well, well, why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the, you know, it's, we may talk about some of these things, but some of the, the things in the in the past is, you know, through my, I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, but the, the fencing thing, I mean, yeah. at the Olympics, I, I took in my fencing bag, I always used to have a telescopic fishing rod, always. And because when we went on, if I went across somewhere to go on a training camp for a week, um, you, you do your training every day and you've got two or three sessions, but you've got loads of time when you're sitting about playing cards or whatever you're doing. And so I used to take a little rod and a few bits and pieces and find some bit of water and try and fish for whatever I could catch. And that was my means of relaxing. Um, and I've got, when I went to the, uh, I was the coach then, I'd stopped competing, but I went to the Barcelona Olympics as coach to the modern pentathlon team. And Lake Banyoles was where the rowing event took part took place so uh, and they were caught i could see them swimming around so i took my little telescopic rod and caught these little sort of wildies they look like really long thin commons up to about 10 pounds and i got a fantastic photograph of all my olympic kit with my olympic fencing bag in front of me holding a carp um you know that's got to go in a book definitely how can it not <laughs> how can it not how can it not yeah you know yeah. so yeah, and all, all sorts of yeah. You know, there's lots. There's lots of stories over the years that's got to go in there, basically. Yeah, you, just to touch on the the fencing, um, and I know I would have mentioned this in the intro, but do you feel that because obviously you competed to a very high level in the Olympics three times, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you, Do you feel that that kind of that bred something in the you in you that you could then use in carp angling, a kind of perhaps a a kind of focus or work ethic, as it were. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, one of the things about um, being an athlete is that you is drilled into you um, through the, the coaches and the training that the process is very much about the process um, and concentrating on the process and the result just becomes it just happens because you've done the process properly. Um, so what, what I mean by that is, for example, in, in, in a sport, you you've got to look at all the especially high level sport you've got to look at all the different aspects so you, you you've got to concentrate on your you've got to look at your nutrition your psychological side of the sport your your strength your uh, flexibility your speed um your technical all the different test technical aspects and all of those things they represent something that you have to train and yeah. you can as well as training some of those things together you need to train and improve each of those elements to as high as you can possibly get them so that you're the very sort of best version of yourself. Um, and if you do that, when you then compete <clears throat> at what you're going to compete at, you can, if you don't win, you can at least say to yourself, well, I gave it my best shot. You know, the guy that beat me was better than me, yeah. um, but I couldn't have done any more. And it's so, so, and the result, and when you do win something, it, it it becomes a result of the based on the process that you've gone through because if you concentrate as an athlete or a sportsman you concentrate too much on the result you actually 
can stop yourself from getting the result you want through nerves or whatever. Yeah. You know, if you're going to take a penalty in the World Cup, um, you can't think about the, 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 the result and what will happen if you miss. Of You've course. got to concentrate on focusing on the ball and sticking it in the bloody net. Um, so, yeah, it's very much about ticking the boxes, um, I think. That's one thing, which is, so when it comes to fishing, I like to look at what I'm trying to achieve. So, I'm, I, you know, I'm after a particular fish or I'm after you know, going somewhere where I think I might get a particular result. But to get that, what have I got to do? You know, perhaps I'm going to look at the right moon phase and the right bait and the right time of year and the, 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 the right presentation and all those sort of things. What time of day? And, and if I can tick all those boxes and, and it gives, me, gives myself the best chance of realising what I'm trying to do. And I've definitely learned that from my sport. And I'm also extremely stubborn <laughs> and um, uh, I won't give up. And that, that, that's also something that I've learned from my sport. And I think sometimes, you know, when you've been knocked back by things and things haven't gone your way or you haven't quite got the result you want, go back, revisit the process, redo the process, and eventually you'll get what you're after. Most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. And the, I mean, generally, the more, the more work you put in, the more reward you're going to get out, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's funny. That is when I was at school, my... My my mates used to call me Lucky John or Jammy John. He used to call mm -hmm. me Jammy John. So yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? The more I go fishing, yeah. the more I do it, the more I seem to catch. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Switching back onto uh, onto bait, I know that you wanted to talk about um, kind of high quality feed baits, and you know whether they're more effective than than perhaps baits that have lesser nutritional quality. Did, did you yeah. want to kind of expand on your thoughts on that? I know we, we've spoken about this before, haven't we? Yeah, we touched on it when we were like um, with the um, studies that were done with the feed hoppers and what yes. the fish are looking for. But it is to, 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 yeah, it's to my fishing and my way of fishing at the moment, I definitely want to be using the best food bait that I can. And by that, I mean a balanced bait um, because I want the fish to feed confidently um, mm -hmm. on what I'm offering them. So, yeah, you know, I think it's very important. It's, it's important for my way of fishing. Now, I mean, having said that, um, I think there's definitely place for the less food orientated um, base, if you like, or nutrition on the nutritional side but a good attractor bait that is used perhaps in very small quantities, literally so that the fish hasn't got time to find out what the nutritional side of the bait is because um, they've got to eat enough to realise whether it's good or not. So if you're using just effectively a carrier with the right attractors on it, um, I think that could also be an exceptionally good method for certain types of fishing what what would be and i understand what you mean what what would you give in as, a, as an example of that well um a bit of the type of fishing that we you and i both do i believe which is very short sessions um the i think it probably comes back to a lot to the type of the what, what you're going to use to attract the fish to the bait mm. um I mean, my favourite thing is 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 hydrolyzed things. Mm. Like 
I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, traditional, more traditional, but great, a great additive. It's something like Marmite. Yeah. I mean, hydrolyzed yeast, what's better than that? Yeah. Um, you know, buy a pot of Marmite and dissolve it in a bit of warm water so it becomes liquid and use that as your hydrolyzate. It's bloody brilliant. Um, something like that. Um, you see, I would, for my, my way of looking at it, is I would use something like that as a bait soak, um, but bait soak, use it as a bait soak over a good food bait. So they're attracted by the, the, the smell of the yeast, hydrolyzed yeast, but then they're going to feed on my food items. But if you did exactly the same thing on a bait that was made up of, let's say, semolina soya, bit of milk powder, um, maize meal, you could roll a lovely boilie like that. It's, a, it's got good energy for the carp. It's not a particularly good nutritional package, but it's, it's good enough. They'll, they'll certainly eat it. Um, and, uh, and if you're only putting in a few of those and you put a nice attractor on the outside of it, um, I can imagine that could work really well. Yeah. Because I know it would work really well. Why wouldn't it? Um, and, and for short session fishing, then maybe the concentrating on that olfaction or that attraction at a distance side of the, 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 the bait would be a sensible way to go. Yeah. But I mean, presumably not at the detriment of the gustatory taste side of things, no. right? Cause I no, think because you... I tend to use, I like to, mm. I think we mentioned it, but I like, if I can, I'd prefer to pre-bait. I like to go down and bait an area uh, if I can get the fish feeding and they've recognized the signals. So they're going to recognize what this food is. So as soon as they smell it, they're going to get on it. Mm. And that definitely, it works. It certainly works for me doing that with a good food bait. Now, if you can't do that, I do wonder, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm only just sort of thinking and speaking out loud really as I'm thinking. Yeah. But I, I think, I think if you're literally turning up somewhere and going to fish for the day, how much of a, benefit is that nutritional side of the the gustatory side of the bait i know that it's leaching out the the good stuff as well so that's part of the attraction so it does have that side to it but maybe by using the right sort of bait soak on a basic food package as a bait that could also be a good way to go it's just a theory yeah no definitely i mean well that, i mean why wouldn't you um maybe cost cost might come into it for some people but yeah i mean if you're going to formulate something that's highly attractive for, for short sessions why wouldn't you put it on something that's highly nutritious for the carp anyway um yeah. and then perhaps you are triggering that kind of internal thing that makes them want to keep coming back for more you know uh, session after yeah. session i think, I think you're right and then it comes down to you know if i mean however there are very there's very good bait out there. There's also some not very good bait out there. But whatever bait it, you try, even the worst one that you could possibly find, um, if you've only got one out there with your hook attached to it, yeah. and it's got a reasonable attractor around it, you'd probably catch on it. Yeah. Um, and even if you baited with, you know, a dozen, they've only eaten a few of them, and it's probably not enough yet for them to reject it. Mm. Um, so no. Just it's all sort of theory, isn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, and I mean, it's always going to be theory to a certain degree. We can go out and prove things time and time again, but, you know, certain things probably it's 
<laughs> it's it's more to do with in spite of rather than because of and yeah there's just but i think that's probably part of the allure for the bait world for us isn't it it um, is I, yeah. I think i think i suppose with a, just to go back to sort of what we were just talking about the 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 the, the food aspect of the bait i think even in short sessions and the type of fishing both you and i do when we're not there for a long time using by using a, a proper food bait with good fresh ingredients that bait even without anything on it you know just as it is straight out of the packet when you've prepared it that is releasing enough of a signal to be of interest to the fish mm. you don't need the soak on it you don't need the flavors in it the nutritional aspect of the bait in my view is releasing enough to make it of interest to the fish most definitely yeah do you do much obviously we've been pretty much just talking about boilies and boily additives do you use particles anything like that or, or are you pretty much just sometimes boiling? um i'm i've got so much into using boilies that i don't use them very often yeah. um hemp i quite like hemp um the the the, the difficulty with using particle i suppose for my type of fishing is that when you're not going to be there for very long, you don't want to make much disturbance. Yeah. Um, and particles, unless you're fishing right in the edge, you're going to be spotting, <clears throat> making disturbance. And I pref would prefer to find an area, maybe carefully and not without making too much noise, you know, just stick out a few baits and then fish that area um, so that I've got more chance of catching something quicker. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, but, but yeah, I mean, if you gave me the choice, I mean, winter's coming, it's getting cold. Mm. Fish aren't going to feed very much. You, you give me the choice between a boilie or a particle, yeah. <laughs> you know which one I'm going to use. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a bit of a blank slate, isn't it, a boilie? I mean, there's so much you can do with it. There's so many tweaks really you can is. do, given the time of year. Do yeah. are you, uh, what do you use in the winter? Presumably you move over to a, a lower protein bait or... What do, yeah, you, what do you do? I, I, I don't. I, although I, from what we said before, that is the ultimate way to go. Yeah. Um, actually, I don't because although I believe that is, I think what we were talking about is actually the, 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 the it's not just theory. It is actually the truth of it. Um, but whether you can adapt your bait to each season, I don't know. And I think it comes down to, um, I think it comes down to how much the fish is going to feed on that bait um, and the length of time it's going to take to digest it. So if you use a, a bait that's really good in the summer, that we might be, let's take a fish, you know, got quite a bit of fish meal in there. You've got some hydrolyzed fish protein. You've got maybe some yeast. You've got full fat soya. You might have a bit of bird food. You've got, you know, some kelp. You might have, you know, all these are good ingredients. All, And then you've got your, your things like your semolina. Perhaps you've got some micronized maize. You've got all sorts of things you could use to make up a really good bait those things um nutritionally are going to be with a good amount of fish meal and fish ingredient type ingredients is going to be nutritionally good for the fish in the summer in the winter it's probably got too much protein in it but it's not for that it's not going to eat it it still smell really good to the fish it will still come along and pick it up and eat it um and it will be able to digest it it's just it'll take it longer to digest it because its digestive system is designed to digest food that it finds in the winter with, you know, it needs less protein. So 
it, it, it use you're going to use less bait because they're not feeding as much you could use exactly the same bait that you're using in the summer just have to be a bit careful about how you apply it um when it comes to the sort of attractor and the flavor side there are definitely there are things that would diffuse better in the in the colder water um so i would be tempted to say maybe change that side of it more and change the actual nutritious side of the the, the the base mix itself do you i mean do you drop your oil levels or perhaps change your bulk oils anything like that uh, i don't use a lot of oil um i do use a little bit mainly in the summer um i know they're looking for that sort of fat that sort of the fat side of it for the winter bait i would i i quite like um a really good quality hemp oil Mm. that's that's really nice i use that um uh in the summer salmon i like salmon oil yeah um yeah that's it really on oils um as i say there's certain flavors that seem to be particularly good when it gets cold yeah um so i'll change to change to them um given the choice i would tend to go for i mean even in the range of bait we do four different baits but you know, one's very much a fish meal and there's another one that's very much a, a bird food so you know if you were asking me which one i would select for your winter fishing i'd go for the bird food and for the summer i'd say go for the fish meal yeah. um but the reality is that either of those applied in the right way the fish will still pick it up and feed on it mm. yeah you mentioned um, kind of some flavors being better in winter. I couldn't agree with you more. Do you, are you selling? I know you use some flavors in your actual baits, but do yeah. you, are you selling flavors? I know you briefly yeah. mentioned that you were sourcing some new ones. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're based on ideas. I mean, when I first started um, doing this back in, so 35 odd years ago, um, the way this happened, well, in fact, the way the company happened was that I was writing regularly for Cart World and going around doing the carp society talks because each region had a had a uh, uh, a carp society sort of a manager and um so i got invited to go around and do talks all over the country because uh, i was i'd been fishing in france i'd lived in france been fishing out in france and people were particularly interested at that time because there was nothing it was all pioneering there were no lakes or anything to go to so they were and, and of course they were great big fish so I got lots of people coming to my shows and I did one in Reading near where I lived and um, somebody else who lived in the area who I didn't know at the time was John Baker. And uh, John came along to the um, talk at Reading Rugby Club and afterwards came up and, and started talking about him and Dennis um, going out to France. And you know, we, we got friendly and started chatting and, and, and it led on from that, that the flavours I first did for Big Carp were modified versions of john's own flavors so something like john's that people will know john's alisalar was remodified slightly and it became um, my big car mega salmon um, and the same with john's plum um, uh, john modified for me and it became big carp fruit bomb um, and that's how my fave flavor started and, and they've been like that for years and then not very many years ago i sort of split away from that and started to develop my own range of flavors based very much on the same sort of ideas um, with some exceptional contacts that I've got abroad because of the people I know. And we're having some of our things, uh, some of our flavorings made for us now by a flavor house in France. 
uh, exclusively for me. Uh, I've still got a manufacturer in the UK that's also manufacturing for me. Um, so, so yeah, now we've we've got our own range of flavors, and as well as doing our um, range of ready-mades, we've got we supply the same base mixes and the same flavors. So people want and additives and things. So for people who want to roll their own bait, they can they they can do. Do you feel that's making a little bit of a comeback? People start starting to kind of roll their own a little bit more, or or not? Uh, yeah, <laughs> in some yeah. ways. I say I say that hesitate I hesitate because I think it might be different in the UK to abroad because abroad the uh, the French anglers and the Italian anglers that I'm dealing with they're often using they're fishing different sort of waters to 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 most English anglers and they they're often using lots of baits um, you know you go to one of these inland seas or you fish the River Seine or the River Moselle or something you could crikey I mean some of them when I go and fish the River Seine or the Moselle I would plan to take five kilos of 24 or 30 more boilies per day for the time I'm out there mm. um, as a minimum. Um, and if, cause I don't use part, I just use boilies, but I'd use five, aim to use five kilos a day. Sometimes I probably could put in more, but you know, I catch what I want to catch using that amount and often I'll bring some home, but that's what I take with me. So, you know, over a week's fishing, you're, you're talking about a lot of bait. Um, and so abroad, there tends to be, people tend to be in little groups of two or three where they um, buy all the roll, they've got a little compressor and a little rolling machine, and they they get together and they spend a few days and they roll, you know, a couple hundred kilos of boilies and they chuck in their freezers, um, and um, and that is that is definitely a thing. I mean, in our our sales, 25 percent of our sales are of base mix and flavors because um, people are rolling their own their own bait. Yeah, interesting. Which is probably different to the UK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I would think, I mean, just to add to add to that, I think if somebody said to me, what is the, whatever bait they're using, whatever company's bait they're using, whatever, what is the biggest edge I could get mm. just in one thing? Um, I would, I mean, there's lots I, you could say, but I would say um, roll your own hook baits. Mm. Um the, the 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 fashion is is very much you wander around most lakes and if you and I, I couldn't believe it when I I won't mention the place but but I went wandered wander around and there were lots of people with their rods resting up against the bivy ready to recast you know um, and most of them the majority large majority of all the rods that were stood up with hooks and things on the end there was a bright coloured pop up on the yeah. end of all three rods. Um, that is the way of fishing these days. Doesn't matter if you're what type of bait you're baiting up with. We're going to stick a white one or a yellow one or an orange one on the end, and and that's the way we go. Um, I I rarely do that. I do sometimes do it because it can be effective. Obviously, it can be effective, but I'm very much a match the hatch. You know, I I want them feeding on my bait, and then I want to give them the same sort of boilie that they're gonna gonna have a hook attached to it. Mm. So I would very much say make your hook baits like your freebies and make them yourselves and you'll get that'll give you a big edge over the majority of other anglers where you're fishing. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. It's I mean and it's I think so many of the things that we've spoken about 
you can apply that logic to it. I mean, it going against the grain, certainly for me, and I, I almost feel like it's a bit of a cliche thing to say now, but doing something different from what everyone yeah. else is doing, I, as long as it's something that the cart want, obviously. I mean, there's no point, you know, doing something that, that, that that's not going to be enticing to them. But I think going against the grain, thinking outside the box, getting your own kind of things going, yeah. I mean, it's just the way to go, isn't it? Yeah, um, and, yeah. and not being afraid to experiment. <clears throat> you know, I, when I go into a new water, I will experiment with lots of different things. Bear in mind, I don't have that much time, but I'll still experiment with lots of different things. Find out what works well on that particular venue or with that partic those particular carp. And then yeah. you, you kind of just rinse it, don't you, for all it's worth. Um, and I think there's perhaps a lot of us are, are a bit guilty of doing the opposite and kind of putting faith in a certain methodology and then just sticking to that and not really venturing outside of that. And I think it costs... we're all guilty of that. Yeah, yeah. To a certain degree. I think we are. Yeah. I think you're right. We're all guilty of that. I mean, I had a, an example just about a month ago. Um, I was invited to go out to, it was out to France. It was a smallish lake about five acres and we were doing a, a little film. There was a friend of mine came along to film just for three days. And, um, so we took our normal sort of bait and stuff and, but we didn't, what we didn't realise, in fact, on the, 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 the guy when we had invited us to go there and said there weren't any of the little poisson shark, you know, mm. the little catfish yeah. things. No, no, there's none of them in here, mate. Um, anyway, of course there were. I, I found a, an area I liked. I put in, I don't know, about a kilo of boilies spread out over a nice big area. We just fished two rods each. So I cast my first rod out. Just, I just put the bait out there cast the first rod out it's fiddling with the other rods and i got a funny little bite and thought what's that so i brought that in and there's a cat one of these little catfish stuck on the end thought, oh no <laughs> so uh and especially because i'd taken um, monster crab and fish meal baits and got it had krill in it and all sorts of oh dear oh dear that's all i'd taken hmm. and um so and, and i caught i think i had 13 in the first hour and I thought, oh, God, how are we going to, what are we going to do for this? Because this is a nightmare. So the French guy, two other two French guys I was with, one of them, he'd just been to Salagou, Big Lake Salagou. Yeah. And he'd taken the same bait, but he'd, he'd wanted 24 and 30 mil boilies, which we made for him. And um, he dried them, so they were hard like bullets. And he had about 10 kilos of them in the back of his van. So he said, let's try these. So we... Uh, I said, well, get, get, I'll put them in one rod and see. So I, I catapulted out about 30 of these 25, 30 mil boilies, stuck one of them straight on the hair, chucked that out there. And a couple of hours later, it ripped off and it was our first carp. Um, we then thought, right, because I didn't get anything, any of the little catfish on that. They couldn't, they couldn't eat it. It was too big and too hard. So all three of us changed our two, each of the two rods over to these big boilies, literally a handful, probably... 10 15 baits for two rods each of us and we ended up with well i won't go into what we caught but we had a, a shed load of great big fish really big carp um and the biggest fish in the lake and the average size of what we were catching was much bigger than what's normally caught in that lake um i even caught my biggest stalked one i had one of um so was it in pounds 23 um on a float under the rod top on a 24 mil boilie. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> when I tried using a little bait, of course, I caught a little catfish every time. So I thought, why not stick yeah. a 24 mil boilie under there? So 
um yeah so we it was totally against the grain of what you, people normally do on that sort of lake because it wasn't a particularly big lake most people were using you know small baits particles uh you know all that sort of normal approach and just using great big boilies and a few spread out just picked out the bigger fish and we had a great session um but we never probably would have thought of doing it like that if that hadn't happened like that but it but it underlines how sometimes doing something a bit different can make a difference yeah definitely do do you are you fishing much in the uk or yeah yeah i'm i'm i've hardly been fishing abroad really the last few years um <clears throat> i'm during the winter right now mainly fish for barbel because i love barbel fishing yeah so uh yeah i'm after a big barbel on the thames um but up until sort of november time um i fish for carp we've we've recently moved down near salisbury so it's all new to me down here uh -huh. um, so I'm looking for some new waters. I've just joined Ringwood because they've got yeah. loads of really good waters, um, and there's a couple in particular I really like. And I'm gonna I'm gonna keep to the barbel till the end of the season, the normal season, you know, fifteenth, fourteenth of March, uh, and then I shall start carp fishing. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, that'll be my carp fishing within the UK. I think there's a few fairly nice waters not too far from you, isn't there? There's some lovely ones. Yeah, there's. Yeah. There's one in particular with some very big fish that's particularly difficult water. Mm. Um, so I'm going to have a go on there. Um, got some, I've already been and looked and had done a bit of wrecking and I've decided on a particular approach approach that I'm going to use on that lake that I won't tell you about. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I will tell you about it next year if it's worked. Yeah, I'd love <laughs> to hear it. <laughs> but yeah, I've got a different sort of approach that I'm going to do on there. Um, yeah. And then I've got another water that's, I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, hard, not many bites type water, but there's another one that they've got that's, uh, you know, smaller fish, but there's there's more chance of getting bites and I, I should be doing a little bit on there to, to get a few runs as well. So yeah, plenty of places to go. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Next year is going to be a good year. Good stuff. Exciting times. Brilliant. I mean, is there, we've covered so many different things and, uh, and I know we've hopped all, all over the place as we always do. <laughs> is there before we kind of wrap up is there anything else that you think would be good to talk about anything you wanted to bring up well i suppose the only other subject that i've noted down was the the it goes into a completely different subject but it'd be worth just discussing for a moment the, mm. the fresh versus preserved or ready-made yeah debate now there's a mm. there's an interesting one <laughs> there is um, but yeah it might be worth in just having a little chat about that yeah, brilliant. Um, I mean, if you want to, yeah, sounds good to me. You you obviously sell fresh bait, but I I kind of picked up that you sell preserved bait as well, right? We do. Yeah. Mm. Um, my my views on it have changed quite radically over the over the years, um, simply through what I've seen in my own fishing, in what I've seen with my mates, um, and. I suppose I would have to begin by saying, given the choice, I will use fresh. Um, yeah. Probably my view these days is because it's a confidence thing rather than the reality. Uh, and I'll qualify that as we sort of discuss it. But I suppose it's a bit like, the way I look at it is a bit like, um, I mean, you're a nutritionist, I think, aren't you, Sam? Yeah. Yeah. So... You know the, the 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 fresh food is you're gonna you've got all the vitamins all the enzymes 
all the nutrition that you want in nice, fresh food. Um, as soon as you begin to cook it, you denat denature some of it. Mm. Some things, even some of the vitamins and that, are actually better when the food is cooked, as long Definitely. as it's cooked in a certain way. But, yeah. but let's say, in general, you know, your enzymes and vitamins and things, you begin to lose stuff when you cook it. Um, fresh tastes better. I think most people would agree. I mean, there's some people that wouldn't agree with that, but I think fresh is generally tastes better. It smells better. In general, it's better for you. So why not, you know, obviously for bait, that would make sense that that would be the way to go. But then having said that, most preservatives are used in food. Um, the general, the, the food, the, the preservatives that are used in most, um, uh, most, I don't know what most uh, companies use, but, but I think they're using monopropylene glycol. They're probably using either potassium sorbate or a, yeah. a salt of sorbic acid yeah. or sorbic acid itself. Well, those, those things, they all sound like nasty, horrible chemicals, but actually if you've got a dog or a cat, they're used in your dog and cat food um, to keep it moist and, and uh, preserved, but keep it in good condition for the, for the, for your animal. Um, if you buy cakes and pastries and things in the supermarket, it's probably got, potassium sorbate in it if you buy um uh, carbonated drinks or or lots of other foods in the supermarket that are preserved and will last a long time they're preserved using monopropylene glycol and sorbic acid or, or sorbates so these are things that are not to be scared of they're not nasty horrible things but they preserve the bait and allow it to doesn't go moldy. It doesn't go off. It doesn't get yeasts on it and so on. So you can put a bait into a bag and stick it on a shelf in a shop. Well, if you, I think the things were skewed, this subject was skewed a bit in the past because I think, or I believe when boilies were first, first came out and were first on the market, there were, you had, you had initially this, discussion between what was then called crack baits and food baits i mean we've talked about all the food we've been through a lot of the food stuff but the crack baits was basically the idea was that it didn't have a lot of nutrition but you could put a flavor on it and then you could keep changing the flavor and the fish would keep coming back mm. I mean, that was the, the sort of theory to it and it works to a certain extent um, but often ingredients weren't very good flavors were poor or taste had nasty taste and to, to counteract and preservative levels were used at high levels um, to make sure the bait didn't go off and to counteract that um, strong sweeteners and taste enhancers were used to cover some of the nastier tastes yeah and, and overall <clears throat> ready-mades at that time were crap you know they, they would catch fish in certain ways but basically they weren't very good and fresh was without any doubt a better way to go. These days, you can take an extremely good base mix. I mean, one of the, we, we, we do various base mixes, but you can take a really good fish meal base mix, really good quality, fresh ingredients, proper fish meals, you know, low temperature. You can put some CPSB 90 in there, a bit of hydrolyzed fish meal. You can put some nice yeast, get cheese powder, put, 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 there's all sorts of some milk proteins. You can make it a really nice base mix. Put in a low level of a flavor, add in a bit of nice salmon oil, put a bit of a nice yeasty product or a fishy hydrolysate or something. You've got a lovely bait. You could make that as a fresh bait. 
you can make that as a shelf life bait. And to, the difference between the two is a little bit of monopropylene glycol and a bit of sorbic acid. Mm. Now, the nutritional side of it is still the same. The taste side of it could be potentially slightly poorer mm. than the ready-made. Um, but the difference between the two, in reality, in my view, is not very much. And so when we talk, if you want to talk fresh on one side, shelf life preserved on the other side, I think the discussion by saying fresh or preserved is too general a term because yeah. preserved, what is the mix, what preservative and what levels mm. and how good is it? And, and, and for example, over the last few years, um, I mean, having said all that, I will still use fresh if I, if I get the chance, just mm. because, just because. <laughs> I want to put everything, like I said, about ticking all the boxes and putting all the chances yeah, well, on my side. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Why yeah. wouldn't you? Mm. But when Brexit came along and I could no longer export and I had to get rid of my company, basically, I mean, now, fortunately, we're going to do it abroad. But I no longer have my rolling equipment. I no longer have access to all my ingredients that I had before in the UK. I've got them all abroad, but I haven't got them here. So what do I do about bait? Well, I've now made myself a little area where I can roll some bait for myself because I like that side of it. I'm going to make my own hook baits. But in the meantime, I thought, well, what I need to do is go to someone I trust where I can get some good bait. So there's lots of companies out there, but there's two that I've fished with over the last few years since Brexit. Now, initially, I, I went to Ian, Ian Moore at uh, CC Moore. Um, I know Ian. I've known him for a long time. He's got a great approach to bait. He he's, thinks along the same sort of lines as I do. And as far as I'm concerned, he makes really good bait. Um, I used his Pacific tuna for over a year, caught plenty of fish, very happy with it. Really good bait. Used it as a ready-made as well as a shelf life. No, as a um, shelf life and fresh. No issues. Really good bait. Same applies to the other person that I, I'm very confident with is Mark Bryant of Baitworks. Again, Mark pays an awful lot of attention to his baits. Um, at the moment, I've got some of his bait in my freezer. I'm using it for the uh, to fish for barbel. I've also got some as um, shelf life, so that if I need to just grab some bait and get out fishing, I can do. Totally confident that that will work um, because I know that their attention to detail when it comes to the base mix and the basic nutrition and the attractors of the bait is good. And all they've done is use a bit of preservative to stop it going off. Um, so I suppose in a bit of a nutshell, that's sort of where I'm coming from. Mm. you know definitely makes sense do you do you see a potential issue with i mean and again this comes down to how is the bait preserved and to what degree is it preserved but let's say someone's baiting up an area <clears throat> and perhaps they're putting it i don't know 20 kilos across the the space of a few weeks if that bait on on the kind of rare occurrence where that bait isn't eaten the fact that it is preserved do you worry about that kind of rotting on the bottom or or saying staying in this kind of semi okay state that then I might be ingested and do you think there's any issue there i i know exactly what you mean and i think you're you're right that potentially that can happen but only i think that can only happen if the um or only would happen if the levels of the preservative being used are too high are much too high the, prop, yeah. the, the difficulty is but companies don't want, I mean, we've got the same issue. We're not, the, 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 we've got the same, we're thinking about the same thing with our bait for France because the 
I know the levels that I need and the, the levels only just allow the bait to not go off. I don't want any more in there than I need. And the advantage with the company I'm working with now is that when the bait is produced, it goes straight um, out the, the boiling machines, off the rollers, into, they're dried. They go into a sealed room, a large, like a, a huge, well, it's huge actually, huge sealed room that is controlled, computer controlled for humidity and temperature um, to bring the bait down to a certain level of humidity. Uh, now, when that's controlled in that way, the baits are just the right firmness without, because if you dry them too much, they go like bullets and they can become too hard and too dry. Um, you don't want them to too much moisture content, content in there because they'll sweat in the bag and they'll go off. The, the moisture content has got to be just right. And by doing it in that way, when the, 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 the baits go come out of that chamber and they go to the bagging machine and they're bagged, they go into that bag at just the right level of moisture so that they won't go off in the bag. Mm. Now, once you have opened that bag and it's open to the air, they still won't go off as they are like that. But if you leave them, let's say you leave them out in the sun and they sweat and they get a bit of moisture on the outside of them, that extra moisture will allow the bacteria and the yeasts and the molds to grow on the outside of the bait. Or if you reseal opened, um, you know, you chuck something in a bucket uh, to the outside air or you chuck it in the lake, the moisture going into the bait will allow the moulds and so on to begin to do their work and it will begin to break down. Now, if you want to stop that happening, you can by putting in very high levels of preservative, um, sorbates and so on. There's something called a BHA, it's butyl hydroxyanisol. It's, um, it's uh, stops oils going rancid. The, these, these sort of things, you know, your bait probably lying on the bottom of the lake for, I don't know, months won't go off mm. well no i don't think that's any good for anybody um and i certainly wouldn't want my bait doing that which is mm. why we, we will go to huge attention to detail to make sure it's got just the right amount to stop it going off in a sealed bag yeah i mean i guess that kind of leads us almost 360 as to to where you started this saying you know is is fresh best there's the other side of this, which is, you know, you know, so not preserve baits, but letting them turn in a, in a bag or a bucket. Um, yeah. You know, is that something that you've explored? Do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Uh, you mean deliberately allowing them to turn a bit so they become yeah. attractive? Yeah, exactly. So they, yeah, I mean, all baits behave differently, don't they? But that's, so they yeah. get maybe like a white coating on them, you know? Yeah. They, yeah, I mean, I certainly right. don't worry about using bait that's got a white coating on it. Um, yeah. Just because it, it it's that, that is happening because of the, the nutritional element coming, leaching out of the bait and the molds and the yeasts are feeding on it, growing. Um, and all they're doing is breaking it down. It can actually be more attractive when that happens. Yeah. Um, it's just getting that fine balance between that happening and then it goes to the point when it starts to smell off. Yeah. And then I wouldn't <clears> use it like that. Um, but yeah, I've definitely used, um, I've used bait. You know, you can go out for a week somewhere like France with fresh bait and within two or three days it starts going white. Um, well, as long as you, you, you can stop that from progressing too far and it just remains like that, it can be really, really good like that. 
most definitely yeah I... you only got to look at you know what do you do with particle you know you, so, yeah. you, you you soak it boil it soak it and then leave it in a bucket until it's fermenting and it's it can get a big scum on the top and it's all the sugars are coming out and it's gone all gloopy i mean it, it, it is bloody fantastic when it's like that most definitely yeah it, yeah it, you know mm. but yeah my my <laughs> most definitely fresh is best if you can if you can't if you use the right bait from the right people um nothing wrong with using ready mates and i'm and i'm now these days quite happy just to use ready mates but yeah. given the choice i'll go for fresh when you say ready-mades you you mean preserved bait sorry. preserved sorry yeah preserved yeah, yeah. yeah. something that's in a, in a in a bag and preserved yeah yeah got you mm. Good stuff. I mean, this. I, I feel like that, that. There's a few different things that I could. Uh, I could kind of bring up, but we've been going uh, nearly three hours now. Um, yeah, it's a long one. It's a good. We've we've certainly covered a lot of stuff, and it has. Have. It has. I mean, there's loads more we can talk about. Um, yeah, I maybe know. we'll do it again. Uh, but um, yeah, there's and and we could dig in detail into some of the things as well. Um, but yeah, we've certainly covered a lot of stuff. Oh, I mean, you've made a rod for your own back by saying we could do it again because I know, <laughs> I know, I know people will listen and they'll want much more. And, <laughs> and it often happens with these these kind of more thought provoking uh, conversations. We always get a lot of questions um, and different things. And I always I look at these questions. I think, yeah, absolutely. Like, why didn't I think of asking that? Um, yeah. And I think sometimes in the moment you don't always think of it. And I'm guilty for thinking. I should really take notes actually, but I think I've oh, got, got, got to ask that, got to go down that route and then I'll forget or something else will captivate my mind and then I've forgotten what I was going to, where I was yeah, going to go. Leave, and... Well, I mean, at the beginning, you said, I think you, you, when you wrote me a message, you said, well, we're going to dive down a load of rabbit holes. Well, yeah. I think we have. It's, um, it's, um, and these, and these sort of conversations stimulate more conversations and it's, um, yeah. and it is, it's a bit of a cliche, but sometimes thinking outside the, you've got to think outside the box, but yeah. It's a bit like I just tell you a, a quick, quick sort of story yeah. about the fencing thing. Where, yeah. when I was training in France, there was um, a guy, a German guy called Alex Push, and he he became an Olympic champion. And he he developed or, or perfected a particular move um, where he would actually flick the, the point in a certain way, and um, he was just brilliant at it. And, and everyone was trying to copy it. And he he became Olympic champion, world champion. He was fantastic. And I said to the coach that was my coach at the time, I said, look, he's doing this move. He said, I've got to learn how to do it. And my coach sort of thought, was a bit thoughtful for a moment. He said, I'll teach you and I'll show you, but that's not the way to go. He mm. said, you're, you're too far behind the curve. By the time you've learned how to do that, there'll be something else that you'll want to learn. He said, no, we're going to look at it and see how he does it so you can learn how to defend against it and what to do. But he said, we need to come up with something else of our own. And that way you can then get ahead of him. So I said, mm, I like your thinking. Um, and that's the sort of thing, isn't it? Rather than follow the pack, why not do something yourself a bit out there and, and, and you might find that you get some surprising results. Most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go and open another beer then. Like, I appreciate you sharing all of these things. I realize like our, our little 
our, the, the snippets we hear and the things that we learn out in the field, so to speak, they're yeah. all hard won things, aren't they? And to uh, I think it's it's quite a thing to come and kind of share it all. So I, I, I yeah, really no, I love it. it. I love it. It's such a great subject. Um, it is. And yeah. and I always want to learn. And you know, I I would love somebody to come back to me, one of your listeners, and say that thing you were saying about. Well, there's two things that that you were saying about that. I don't think you're right. I think there's this. It's like that and whatever. And I might think, actually, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I'd love someone to do that, and I can, and then I can get better at it. Um, wow. You know, it's like there, there's we can learn all the time, and and this is only theories, and it's only what I think, and I've learned over a number of years, and and yeah, let's hope it helps somebody catch a great big fish, and 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 yeah, somebody come back to me and, and ask me something or tell me something where you can you can help me catch a few more big fish. Yeah, definitely. And it's a good point. I think we, you can learn from everyone, can't you? To a certain okay. degree, you know, we all go into experience different things and yeah, we all have our own kind of conclusions of things. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we, you, we're never going to stop learning about bait, are we? Just, or, or angling in general. I just, I think it's a never ending quest of knowledge. We're going to be really boring think. old anglers in another 20 years well. time, still talking about the same <laughs> subject. Yeah, very true yeah very true john thanks ever so much for coming on obviously open invitation if you ever want to do this again like yeah I'd thanks absolutely... yeah i've really enjoyed it it's been great fun